Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Good to be here today, guys. Yeah, good Saturday. Yeah, it is. We're excited to have you with us today as well, listening to our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner. You can stream us from the comforts of your kitchen, obviously driving around 1230 a.m. locally, or you can go to our podcast website, right? You can catch past shows. Exactly. Pick up what the money doctors are putting down no excuse to miss us it's no, there isn't we make there it isn't. easy yeah even listen on your smartphone download the TuneIn yeah. radio app and you can listen to us and you know this station from anywhere anywhere in the world that's right so it's a great way to listen well, guys i think we have an awesome show lined up for the day some very interesting stuff very timely stuff um you know but we're gonna start off here with kind of a, a downer and that is the five reasons you'll never be rich oh come on be positive man how about the five yeah. reasons you will be rich Ouch. Ouch. So that's, well, right. that's, this, that's this, what we're gonna do we're gonna turn this around into the five reasons why the ways you, five ways you will be rich. there you, there you go. go there you go right but yeah it is kind of a negative thing but they, you know there are some big reasons that keep people from achieving that one percent millionaire status that that you know, everybody achieves to, to reach. And uh, so we're going to take you through them so that you can make sure you position yourself to not let those hinder you. Yeah. And, you know, we don't do predictions too often, guys. But uh, my guess is, you know, interest rates are going to rise um, at some point um, again in the future. I mean, yeah. we've been on a downturn for, I don't know, how a couple decades now? A long yeah. time. You think now. about mortgage yeah. rates, what they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago um, versus what they are today. Still pretty good rates right now. So uh, what's the impact of rising interest rates? We're going to look at a couple different sectors of things that you can expect out of that. And then we're going to get into some governmental math. We always like talking about math and uh, the government. We're going to take a closer look at how your Social Security is actually calculated. Uh, so that should be that should be an interesting segment as well. Yeah, that's a very important because you know most people don't understand what all goes into those numbers, Correct. and uh, there's some interesting stuff there. It's really it's a great segment. So look forward to that. Okay, but we're going to start off here though with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, the. Uh uh, retirement confidence survey done by Benefits Research. And um, interesting about retirement, 21% of about 1,000 pre-retirees surveyed in the uh, first quarter of this year believe that they need to accumulate at least a million dollars in order to live comfortably during their retirement years. That's up from 15% way back in 2005. So one thing they don't mention in here, guys, is the age. Um, they just say pre-retiree. So, you know, let's say you're 40 years old and, and um, you know, a million dollars. That's an achievable target in, in 25 years. But then the question becomes, all right, if you have a million dollars, 
and you can get, let's say, 50000 of income, is that going to be enough income in 25 years? That's the magical question. Exactly. Yeah, I think what most people don't realize, if you're younger and you don't have a pension, a million dollars probably isn't going to get it done for you if you're married and you're trying to support a household. Um, so you got to really do the math. You know, that's why it's so important to do a financial plan, yeah, right? a retirement plan. And the retirement plan really looks at income, right? It looks at what, exactly. what your balances are, what your income. Some people are fortunate to have pensions. Um, Social Security probably will be a piece of that, probably less than what they're telling you. But putting that plan together can kind of help piece this together for you. Yeah, but people are slowly catching on that they're going to need more money than they used to think they did. Yeah, it's and, increased. Yeah. But still, 21% thinking they need a million dollars. It's probably more like 50% are going to need a million dollars. Right, right, right. Is the real real number. So very interesting fact of the week, though. Okay, and that leads up to our first topic, and that is the five reasons you'll never be rich. <laughs> this is based on dum, an article dum, dum. out of Kiplinger's um, <laughs> here recently. And, yeah, guys, we don't, we don't mean to be negative here, you know, but... But somebody's got to get your attention, and that's kind of what we're doing here. Um, yeah, I mean, wealthy people, you know, they usually aren't born that way, right? I mean, most people spend their lives amassing their fortunes, working hard, spending little, saving a lot, and investing wisely. And it may sound like a simple strategy, but, you know, the fact is the vast majority of Americans fall far short of the millionaire status and, you know, that just proves that it's easier said than done. Um, you know, but then again, I mean, there are 10.1 million households in the U.S. that have a million dollars or more in investable assets, according to market research and the consulting firm called Spectrum Group. And their ranks are growing. So it's not impossible. But, you know, consider it's only 0.3 percent. Right. So it is far less than one percent. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it it takes some doing to get there. It doesn't happen by accident. So here's what you might be doing wrong to keep yourself out of the millionaire club. So we're going to go through these. But, you know, more importantly, find out what what you can do to change your ways and to build that seven-figure nest egg worthy of being a one percenter. Yeah, and and the first one here is picking the wrong profession. Um, That's exactly right. You know, accumulating wealth starts with your first paycheck. I mean, some jobs... Can, uh, can get you going faster than other jobs. According to Fidelity's Mil- Millionaire Outlook study, many wealthy people today work in technology, finance, and, and medicine. Those are fields that are all represented in their best jobs for the future. And positions, guys in these areas, they have generous salaries, and generally they're, they're in high demand. For example, a nurse practitioner has a median salary of ne- nearly $93,000 a year. Wow. That's not bad. No, that's fantastic. And in contrast, someone who uh, sets tiles, um, and in their survey it was one of the, the tougher jobs for the future, it can expect to make about $34,000 a year. So that's $60,000 difference. difference that you can you know build wealth with. That's a huge amount. Of course, given enough time and the right saving and spending habits, um, you can build a, a fortune even on a small salary. We've talked about that before. Um, but certainly a higher income can make it easier to save more and certainly do it faster as well. Exactly. Yeah, it's not necessarily about how much you make, but it's about how much you save. But you can certainly save more if you make more. You have more potential there. Sure. So the question is, what can you do about it? Well, I mean, if you're still in school, um, you know, obviously majoring in a promising field can put you on the path to a more lucrative career and help you make that millionaire status. I mean, just like that nurse practitioner job that you you quoted. I mean, what a great uh, what a, what a great field that obviously is. 
you can average $93,000 a year. So you might want to consider that if you're still in school. But remember, you know, it's it's easier to work. <clears throat> it's, it's easier working hard for the rest of your life if you have a legitimate interest in your chosen profession. So don't just pick your job for the money. Not just based around the numbers, for sure. Exactly. Nice. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, if you're working in a job that you love, then mm-hmm. every day going to work is not a job at all. It's not a chore. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So if if you're past college days, though, you can still learn some valuable skills to advance your career and increase your earning potential with free online courses. I mean, also consider supplementing your income with maybe a side gig, you know, making money off of an existing hobby or interest. I certainly have a lot of those. I just don't have any extra time. To are, are, are you getting paid to play golf now? No, I'm not. I'm not. That's, that's one of them, Gordon. I do have some I can get paid he's gonna, for. He's going to hit the senior tour after he there retires, you John. I, exactly. Or either that or just playing all these Champions golf tournaments. Tours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a great way to make extra Wouldn't money. Wouldn't it, though? Man. So, you know, so that was number one, picking the wrong profession. Number two here is the fee, you fear the stock market. And this is really a big one, right? Because that does keep a lot of people from reaching a millionaire status. I mean, cash stuffed under your mattress or even deposited in a savings account won't keep up with inflation, much less grow into a million dollars. So in order to maximize your gains, you need to invest your money wisely. In many cases, that means putting your money mostly in stocks. You know, that's... That's hard for some people to do today with the markets down, but you got to be able to do that, right, Gordon? Yeah, and, and it just let's look at some basic math here. You know, according to bankrate.com, the highest yield you can expect from a money market account that they're saying is about one point one one of a percent. You know, on that account, most that I've looked at, it's been like point oh, yeah. five of yeah, a percent. Right. Oh yeah, less, less than a percent. That's the highest. You know, yeah. so the highest that they're talking about is point one. So, for example, if you took ten thousand uh, dollars and put it in a in a money market account, you left it there for say ten years with a monthly compounding uh, interest. You'd have about eleven thousand two hundred dollars at the end of that ten years. Now let's take that same ten thousand dollars, place it in uh, you know something like a S and P five hundred index type fund, and it's averaged like seven point one percent over a ten year period. Now, granted, we're not guaranteeing any kind of results sure. here, you know, or, or performance. We're just giving you some some averages here. Well, let's just say it only averaged six percent. At six percent rate, you would end up with eighteen thousand two hundred dollars. That's seven thousand dollars more just by putting your money to work for you instead of letting it sit idle. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that, a great point that you, that you made there, Steve. You know, you've got to get in the game in order to get something out of yeah, it. Yeah, you can't fear the stock market. I mean, that's a 60% added return above what they got in on money market accounts. So you have to you have to be able to do that. So, you know, what can you do about it? Well, there's no denying that the stock market can take on a bumpy ride. So if your fears your fears are certainly understandable, but committing yourself and diving in is well worth it over the long term. I mean, stocks have marched upward and proven to be the investment of choice for expanding wealth. For example, since 1926, long-term corporate bonds have returned about 6% on average, while large U.S. companies and small companies like the S&P 500 and Russell 2000 Index have gained 10% and 12% respectively. So it's no wonder that 75 
percent of the millionaires invest in stocks, according to Fidelity. Okay, we'll continue the discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. So we're continuing our discussion here with um, the five reasons you'll never be rich. Uh, again, you know, we don't mean this to be a downer, you know, but statistically, there's only like 0.3% of folks that ever make the millionaire status. And so, um, you know, statistically, the odds are against you, but that doesn't mean it has to be you. You mm-hmm. know, for the average person, yes, there are these five reasons are the key reasons that keep people from reaching the millionaire status. But you can overcome these, and that's why we're covering these. And if you're listening and, you know, you're. 60 years old, you know, 70, whatever, you may have kids or grandkids you can share this knowledge with. So, you know, it's not it's not just about you all the time. It's about other people in your life that you can also help. Exactly. Right? Exactly. You know, and for young people, I mean, if you have grandkids or, or kids um, that are still in school, um, the first one here was you picked the wrong profession. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're only making twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year, obviously it's going to be tough to ever be rich on that salary. So if you pick the right profession, like, you know, John, the example you gave here was um, a nurse practitioner that averages $93,000 a year. That's a great profession, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? So, I mean, there's still time for a lot of folks to go back, retool, and if that fits your interest and your skill set, then maybe maybe that's a great profession. Or even becoming, you know, just be, being a welder, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, a good, a good uh, you know, qualified welder and in Industry. I mean, they can make eighty thousand dollars a year. So it's just a matter of picking something that fits you that you can make decent money at. And the next one here that we we mentioned was fearing the stock market. You know, this is a big one. People don't invest in the stock market, and that hurts them because stocks, equities, by far, have outperformed fixed income over the years. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to reach the millionaire status, it's a lot easier. If you're going to ever be wealthy, it's a lot easier if you're investing your money in something that's compounding at a higher rate of return year over year on average, and that is stocks historically. So um, so that was number two. And then the next one here on the list is you don't save enough money. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know, a know, we've, we've talked about this one before. <clears throat> you know, if you don't save enough money, it, you're never going to be rich. It's hard to get around the obvious but often ignored principle. Um, even if you earn seven figures, if you spend it all, you still net zero. And, you know, yeah, you may have a garage full of junk. But you're not going to have a million bucks in a bank. Yeah, you still have zero. You could do a garage sale, but that's right. Um, yeah, and so what can you do about it? Begin saving as soon as possible. I had a had the pleasure of um, sitting down with um, uh, the son of a client um, this last week, 23 years old, and uh, wasn't really interested necessarily in finance and saving. And I went through some of the math with him, and you could see the light bulb clicked. 
and his parents have been talking with him about it, you know, quite a bit as well. So, you know, the sooner that you start putting money away to work, the less you actually have to save. I mean, if you start saving at age 35, you need to put away about 670 bucks a month in order to reach the million-dollar mark by the time you turn 65. And that's assuming that you make an 8% uh, annual return. But if you wait 10 years to age 45 before you start saving, you actually have to save almost $1,700 to hit that million-dollar mark. So the longer that you wait, the more that you're going to have to save. So, again, if you're listening to this and you have kids, grandkids, you know, start teaching them these principles. The sooner yeah. the better. Exactly, yeah. And so how can you start saving? Well, you know, first you need to budget, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute, but you got to lay out all your expenses, know where your money's going. Then you got to figure out where you can trim costs and where you can start putting money aside to increase your savings. So we'll we'll get to the budget partner here in a second. But the fourth one here on the list is you're drowning in debt. You know, again, I mean, debt can be a danger to your financial well-being. If you're constantly paying credit card bills, racking up interest charges, paying big car payments, you won't have any chance to save money. Um, you know, not that all debt is bad. I mean, barring to go to school, to get a professional training, or to start your own business, you know, that can help boost your career and your income potential, especially in the low interest rate environment that we're in. Um, but, you know, 39% of millionaires do say that they borrow money that allows them to put their cash to better use, you know, according to U.S. Trust. But you don't want to have any consumer debt. You don't want to have credit cards and car payments. Yeah, and I would say as long as you're paying yourself first, that can work. The problem exactly. people get into is they're buying cars and boats and campers, and they're not paying themselves first. So it may be cheap money, but it's going to depreciate. So that or be- they, yeah, they super over-leverage themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So you got to be careful with that. Yeah, and and that comes down again, like you were talking about, Steve, having that plan. You know, what what is your, if you do have debt, if you are shouldering that debt, what is your plan to get out from under that debt? Uh, there are several different approaches. You know, Dave Ramsey he has his baby steps, and baby step number two is uh, you know the debt snowball, mm-hmm. and it's just it's a wonderful system because it really helps people. Uh, take it one bite at a time you know they say how do you eat an elephant it's one bite at a time because a lot of times you have these people that are under this enormous amount of stress and if they can knock out that smallest debt first that gives them a psychological boost you know and some momentum to keep moving forward other people say well what about the highest interest rate well you know that can work too but if (laughs) like Ramsey says if we were math geniuses we wouldn't be in this problem in the first place right (laughs) that's exactly right so you know knock out that first that small debt and then work your way down with this debt snowball yeah, and if you're considering taking out new loans, I mean, just be careful. You know, I mean, most small businesses, they fail within a few years. So be careful about taking out loans to start a new business. Try to do that on cash if at all possible. And, you know, any new education you get needs to be effective, right? It needs to be a job where you know you can get a job or a, a field where you know you can get a job and you can pay back any loans that you get. So you just need to be careful there. All right. So the last one here on the list is you don't have a budget. Now, this is a big one, and I yeah. know we beat it like a dead horse here, but <laughs> but it's foundational. It, it is foundational. It, is. it, it helps is. you accomplish all this. That's right. It, Exactly. Yeah, without a budget, I mean, it's easy to lose track of how much you're spending and to live well beyond your means. Um, You know, working toward financial goals, saving uh, for vacation, buying a house, funding your retirement – 
it can also prove difficult if you don't have a well-thought-out plan. So that's what a budget is. A budget is a spending plan. So what can you do about it? Well, first, do what the majority of millionaires do. Establish a budget. Knowing where your money goes is going to help you to identify the ways that you can keep more in your pocket. You know, break out the pencil and paper calculator to lay out your income and expenses or go digital, you know, with your finances by using, uh, you know, a budgeting website such as mint.com or or budgetpulse.com to help you track where your spending is going. So there's lots of ways to do it, but you need to have a budget. You need to get control of your credit cards and, you know, where your money's going. Ramsey has a great piece of software now called Every Dollar. Yeah, it's it's a great tool. It's a great visual, and it's very uh, user-friendly, like you're talking about there. Great. That's another great option. So, all right. Good topic. And that leads us up here, though, to our question of the week. Yeah, we get this question periodically. Um, and, 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 you know, really, when you look at the Ramsey process, it, it, the brilliance of what he does is simplicity. And really, any place that you are in your financial um, walk, you can figure out where you plug in and get on that, get on those steps. And and so that's what I, when, when we sit down and talk with people, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to help them figure out based on their situation what to do. But so the question is, is should I pay off my home before I fund retirement? So this couple was in their mid 30s and, um, you know, they had they were really eager to pay off their home. Um, they were in about a you know 5% uh, interest rate mortgage, so we talked about refinancing. But it boils down to are you going to be able to make more in the stock market long term than a you know, after tax, you know, 3% type rate. And, and so what Ramsey basically tells you to do is, you know, fund your retirement first um, up to 15% of your income. <clears throat> Try to get those higher rates in the market. Now, historically, you know, it, it can be six, seven, eight, you know, 9% based on, you know, what the markets have done. But if you go and pay off your house first, that means whatever that interest rate is, that's what you're earning. And so if you're an after tax 3% rate, can you do better than that in the stock market long term? Probably. Historically, certainly have. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an advocate for throwing big chunks of money on your mortgage or, or really stripping your retirement or your savings in order to pay off your mortgage. But I am a big advocate of getting a 15-year mortgage. Oh, yeah, right. You get a lower rate. There's so many people sitting out there with a 30-year mortgage. Refinance to a 15-year mortgage. Or when you do refinance or buy a new house, get a 15-year mortgage. Yep. Get it paid off well before retirement. And they had a 30-year mortgage. A and so they're going to refinance down to a 15-year. And I said, you know, you're going to be 50 years old with a paid-for house. I mean, that's that, it. that doesn't happen a lot today. We don't have a lot of people walking in at 50 without a mortgage. And that allows you to really slam it hard in that last 10, 15 years before retirement so that you can save a ton of money. You got the kids through college, maybe, you know, and then you really have the opportunity to hit it hard for retirement mm-hmm. in the home stretch. Yep. And so it's all about positioning yourself, but get a 15-year mortgage. But that's a great question of the week. Yeah, don't throw a whole bunch of extra money at the mortgage, but <clears throat> refinance it down to 15%. You know, get the... Your fifteen year yeah. and get the the PMI loan, you know, uh, eradicated, gone. Get yeah. rid of that. Have <laughs> at least twenty percent down. So that's a great question of the week. Okay, well that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates seven zero six seven three nine zero seven two five. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and GM news. Stay with us. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are going to um, start a new topic here uh, as we come back, and that is rising interest rates. You know, guys, I mean, this has been a ongoing threat now for years and mm-hmm. you know we're finally starting to see kind of the beginning of that and um so question is what does that do right john yeah we're not trying to predict um you know when and how much interest rates are going to rise i mean um, but the facts stand i mean they're at historic lows right and um don't really have you know too many directions to go from this point, but um, you know rising interest rates could certainly impact investments, real estate, and uh, certainly the overall economy. But their influence, it might not be as negative as some perceive. And and so you may be asking, well, why are interest rates potentially going to rise going forward? Well, a couple of factors. I mean, the Federal Reserve um, has um, reduced and stopped their asset purchases. Right. That's that's been done. That program went on for a number of years. <clears throat> and as that has happened, inflation expectations have grown a little bit. And the perception can often become reality on Main Street and Wall Street um, that inflation is, is, is high. And it, it's really not right now. But, um, you know, the economy has gained momentum and uh, interest rates do tend to rise in, in better times. Again, looking back historically. Yeah, that's right. And the Fed funds rate, you know, it's been in the zero to a quarter percent range now for a long time, since December of 2008, in fact. You know, and historically, I mean, it's averaged about four percent. It was four and a quarter percent when the recession hit back in 2007. Short term fluctuations have been the norm for, you know, that key interest rate. Um, it was 1% in June of 2003 after that recession in that bear market. Um, but then they started raising that rate. And, you know, that compares to 6.5% in May of 2000. So it has, it has gone up and down quite a bit. You know, in December 91, it was 4%. Uh, but just 17 months earlier, it had been 8%. So rates, they rise and they fall again. Um, you know, what may happen when they rise next time? That's yeah. that's the big question. Yeah, that's, I think historically, I mean, it, it. you know, we are at a very low point, and we just kind of pointed that out. And so one question we get a lot of times is, you know, what's the impact on investments? And, and so there's an investment strategist out there named Rob Brown, and he wrote an article for Financial Advisor magazine, and he noted um, the performance of stocks, and he looked at them as rates rose historically. And Brown studied 30 economic expansions that have occurred in the U.S. since 1865, and uh, he pinpointed a 10-month window within each expansion that saw the greatest gains in interest rates. And the median return on the S&P 500 for all of those 10-month windows was about 8%, and uh, the index returned positive in 80% of those 10-month periods. So that means that there were some periods that were negative during that time frame. Um, Looking at such 10-month windows since 1919, the S&P median return was even better at about 11%, and the index gained in 81% of those intervals. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily – it's not correlated with investment performance is what it's telling me, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean – Yeah, and and he also looked at some 12-month periods as well. 
with the S&P 500, like you were talking about there, John, uh, looking at October 31st, and these are periods that are ending at mm-hmm. this time. You know, October uh, 31st of 1994 and also May 31st of 2004. Uh, in the first 12-month stretch there, the October 31st, um, the interest rate on the 10-year note rose 2.38% to 7.81%. That's quite a hike, you know, over mm-hmm. over a 12-month period there. Well, during that time, the S&P gained only 3.87%. Then in the second time period, um, ending in May 31st of 2004, you know, across that 12-month period, the index actually rose 18.33%, uh, where the 10-year treasury, it only you know went from 1.29 to 4.66%. So I think the point behind all those numbers yeah, we've been spitting out here, boom. which I know nobody's following, is you know interest rates are not necessarily correlated, there. correlated to the stock market. Mm-hmm. You know, Just because the interest rates go up doesn't mean the stock market's going to go down right. or vice versa. It, we're not seeing a lot of correlation when you look back at history. Is that right, John? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there is no correlation. Some periods were positive. More periods were positive than negative. So yeah, trying to predict this um, and making a decision on your investments is, is, not, um, is not prudent, in our opinion. So it, you know, the effect on housing market, it does impact... Um, you know, mortgages and so forth. And so the question is, is do costlier mortgages discourage home sales? And recent data backs that up that, uh, you know, people are able to afford more housing um, when the interest rates are low. Existing home sales have been up. Um, and, um, you know, they, they've certainly improved from the 2008 uh, time frame. When the economy improves, the labor market typically improves as well, and more hiring means less unemployment, right? So there's more people out there looking for um, for homes, and unemployment is is an impediment to um, to home sales. And um, so, when interest rates rise, there it is going to impact more mortgages. The mortgage rates typically do rise. Um, you know, it depends on how much it rises to see how much it impacts the housing. I think it's going to impact housing. Um, down the road when they get back to 6 or 7%. I think that's going to be right. a challenge, a headwind for the housing market. But it certainly helped the housing market the last, you know, seven or eight years. Yeah, and I tend to agree. I don't think, you know, a little bump in interest rates at these levels is going to drastically change somebody's decision about whether or not to buy a house. Um, but at some point, it gets to where less people can afford it, mm-hmm. right? You know, when they start getting up in 5 6%, you know, short-term rates um, and, and mortgages go up above 6%, then then there's more people that can't afford it, and I think that will have an effect. So your point's well taken. Yeah, and, and but not necessarily, you know, it doesn't necessarily hurt the housing market. I mean, when the economy is well, home prices have every reason to appreciate, even if interest rates go up. You know, the National Association of Realtors say that the median sale price of an existing home rose about 5% past year. Um, Not the double-digit appreciation we saw in some years, like 2013, but still not bad. So cash buyers, they don't really care about interest rates, right? And according to Realty Track, 43% of, of, of buyers in the first quarter of last year bought without mortgages. So there's a big percentage of wow. people out there, yeah, they're paying cash mm-hmm. nowadays for houses. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what interest rates are in that, that kind of market. Must, must be listening to Dave. I was going to say, Dave, Dave followers, and they typically get a little bit better deal yeah, uh, like when they're able to come to the right. table. Like it. Close more quickly. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, the, the last uh, section here is rates might not cl- uh, climb as fast as a lot of people think. I mean, guys, we've been talking about rates increasing for, for years now. And, you know, even when they do start increasing, it's probably going to take years before it gets back to the historical norms. And uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, uh, there's a gentleman, uh, his name is William Dudley. He's a Federal Reserve um, Bank of New York president. He thinks there's really three reasons for that. One of them is baby boomers retiring may imply less potential for economic growth um, across the next decade. Yeah, and two, secondly, you know, he said banks are asked to uh, to keep higher capital ratios on hand these days. So that means that their uh, lower bank profits and less lending as more money is actually being held in their reserves. Uh, thirdly, he believes that households and businesses are still traumatized, you know, by the Great Recession that yeah. we went through, and, and that's the truth. It you know, is you, true. You yeah. see more businesses. And I'm sure you sat down with some people who, uh, <laughs> even small businesses, are yeah. actually sitting on a pretty good pile of cash. Yeah, actually, a lot of individual investors are still, you know, scared. They're they're concerned about it. So yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, who knows? I mean, we, we don't try to predict rates. Um, we don't see direct correlations with investments. I think it does impact the mortgage. I think it's going to help um, retirees and people that, that do need CDs and, you know, some interest from that. So, um, you know, who knows? I, I don't know when it's going to go up, but I think it, it definitely is going in the process of changing. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to predict it for sure. Um, you know, interest rates. I think we'll go up, um, certainly continue to go up, but they'll they'll go up gradually. Mm-hmm. I don't see the Fed, you know, the economy is not strong enough for them to start jumping on and, and raising a quarter point, yeah. even a quarter point every meeting like they used to. Um, I think they're probably going to skip some meetings and gradually. who knows what, who knows what they'll do. I think it's going to be a slow process at right. this point. So uh, I think it's going to be quite a while before it really starts affecting investments and some kind of real tangible way just based on interest rates alone so uh but it's really you know investments boil down to the economy and if the economy is good investments tend to go up that's more of a driving force that i think than than short-term rates yeah i agree exactly but that's a great topic and that leads us up here to our uh to our break but uh, if you have questions you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marvel, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to lead off our last segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, Dave Ramsey and um, really hits the nail on the head here. It's uh, financial success is 20% knowledge and 80% behavior. So if you think about the behavior, um, you know, it's going into a, a restaurant and, and drinking water versus a, a $2 soda. Right. You know, $2 doesn't necessarily change your financial situation, but it's it's the behavior that you're thinking about, you know, behaving in a certain way, and you do that multiple times every day, every week, and it starts to add up over time. Yeah, it's about behavior modification, and that's why you have to have a disciplined process in the things that really matter, you know, because if you rely on your emotions, you're going to make the wrong decision, 
And so you have to have a disciplined strategy for investing, you mm-hmm. know, that doesn't rely on you making some kind of emotional decision every day about whether to buy or sell. And that's obviously what we do. And, and I think it's critical that everybody has that kind of process. And the same thing with spending. You know, you have to have a budget. You have to have a process that's disciplined that takes the emotion out of that decision-making process. So it's a great prescription of the week, and it's exactly right. It's about 80% is about mm-hmm. behavior yeah. modification. Right. So the other twenty percent you can get from the money doctors. That's true. Right? The that's knowledge true. every single Saturday. That's right. Right here. All right, and that leads up to our last topic here, and that is the math behind your Social Security payment. You know, there is a lot of math behind Social Security, and it's more complicated people think about, right, Gordon? That's right. So we're going to kind of change our change our hats here, go from uh, doctors to professors, I guess per se, and. Uh, take a quick look at here you know guys uh dave ramsey again i know we've talked about him a lot today especially in this uh broadcast but you know he says your financial professionals uh should have the heart of a teacher so that's what we're going to try to do we're going to try to go back to school here and study the math behind the social security you know a little understanding of the numbers goes a long ways to avoiding retirement surprises and shortfalls when you get there you know like other pension systems our social security is based on three factors eligibility earnings and age mm-hmm. and of course when you're dealing with the government math the social security administration uh the ssa they put they put their own little twist on it don't they steve yeah it gets a little complicated it really does but you know first let's talk about eligibility because eligibility is is uh you know the first step in that process to be eligible for social security retirement payments you need 40 quarters of work or work credits as they call it um, and so you get up to four of those per year. Um, so, you know, that, that determines whether or not you're qualified Correct. to be in the system if you have 40 quarters. So in 2015, you earn one work credit for each $1,220 uh, in 2015. For each $1,220 that you earn any time during the year. So if you earn four times 1220 which is four... Forty-eight hundred, yeah, forty-eight hundred dollars, about $5,000. Um, this year, you get all four of those work credits, and you get credit for the entire year, so you're one-tenth of the way there. Um, but it's only work where you get Social Security, where you pay Social Security taxes that counts. So you have to be working in a job where you get that, get you make Social Security payments. Yep. Yeah, and and then, you know, uh, Math 102, then we have to compute your average earnings. You know, the second factor is your lifetime average earnings. Many pensions are computed on uh, your best sometimes three to five years of work. Well, that's not the case here with Social Security. They extend it a little bit, right? <laughs> Slightly, 35 years, <laughs> 30 you know, so not three or five, 35 yeah. years, yeah. you know, and that that really makes a difference. And how, how does that work there, John, when they, they factor that? Yeah, so Social Security, they record every year's earnings um, on your Social Security taxes, and I would encourage people to go out to ssa.gov and check that because sometimes there are mistakes on there. But look at, look at the earnings, and when you hit 62, every year that you work is multiplied by an inflation factor to make it more comparable to today's pay level. So if you work back... Back in 1990, and made $20,000, that would be inflated up to a, a, a value today that would be equivalent based on inflation that they've used. And then they, so they, they take the top 35 years of those inflated earnings and their average together. 
Um, so the years don't have to be in a row. Um, they can be you know, spread out. But the 35-year average determines what your Social Security payment is going to be. So obviously the higher the average, it means that you're going to get a higher paycheck on a monthly basis. So basically it's a lifetime of earnings. <coughs> basically, yeah, it, yeah it, it really is. They're, they're looking back. you know. So we're looking back over 35 years that they use. And, and even if you don't have 35 years of work, you know, missing years, uh, they post as zeros. So it's kind of like not turning in your homework. Um, and this actually reduces your overall 35-year average. Uh, but, you know, they, they put a few twists on everything and convert, and then they, you know, convert it, um, that 35-year average, into your Social Security uh, payment. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know, that, that 35 is, is very integral to the overall formula here. Yeah, it's important to avoid a couple mistakes here or misconceptions. Um, high late earning career, late in your career earnings don't always mean high Social Security. Because if you had low earnings earlier, right, it's a lifetime average. So right, they're still that, factored in there. Exactly. So you divide it over 35 years, and, it, you know, you're, you're not going to get the same thing. I ran into an interesting situation here just this week where I looked at a guy's earnings, and for the first time ever, you know, I looked at their statement from a couple years ago and their statement today, and their their benefit actually went down. It was less. Mm. And I've never seen that happen. And huh. you start reading the fine print of how can that happen. Well, he had really high earnings early on, right? So he had his his 35-year average was high. But what they do is they assume that you're going to continue that earnings on that benefit statement. They, they extrapolate that out to retirement. Right. So they assume you're going to continue that level of income all the way out. So that, that benefit statement isn't telling you what you've already earned. It's giving you an estimate of what they think you're going to earn. Yeah. The projection there. Up to retirement. Was it a big drop or just... It was a big drop, yeah. He had really maxed it out, and then he had some low years. Yeah. And so here recently, so you add those together, and they change their projection, and his projection went down. And, uh, you know, huh. it's kind of alarming to people because they think that's what they actually are going to get. That's like absolute. That's what I've earned so far. It's not true. That benefit statement is not telling you what your current PIA is. It's telling you what your what is projected to be at sixty two. And so d- big can, can you define for some of our listeners what is PIA? Yeah, it's um, trying to think of what it stands for. It's um, uh, it's your index. It's your earnings index. Projected index. It's like it's something like that. Gotcha. It's, yeah, that's right. But it's their actual. It's the actual number. It's your full. Social Security benefit is your is your PIA your monthly benefit. So it's it's averaging all that together, and and they go through the formula. And you know another important thing to recognize is that it's it's only part of that. They count the first like ten thousand dollars of your earnings a lot more than they do the rest of it. Right. So you know it doesn't all count the same. So you know anyway, the second uh, mistake you want to avoid is retiring a few years earlier after a lifelong work. That won't drastically uh, reduce your Social Security. You know a few zeros, average that over thirty-five years, don't make that big impact. Hmm. Good point there. All right, then uh, third part here: computing your age. Uh, the third factor is your age when you start payments, and this is pretty important, and you were kind of alluding to that just a moment ago. You know, that's based on your full retirement age. 
FRA, as they reference. Um, your FRA is between 65 and 67. Well, for, for people my age, it's probably going to be a little bit higher. You're not you know. getting any Social Security. Okay. Well, you're too young. That's not what you said. That's not what you said in one of our prior uh, oh, radio right. shows. It'll be decreased. Come on, John. It'll be. It'll it be will certainly be adjusted. You'll be paying for. Right, we're going to need you to pay for us guys. <laughs> so you know they use that in, in factoring and whatever your FRA, uh, you can start payments any month between the ages of 62 and 70. Now you know starting your payments uh, at your FRA and you get a hundred of the payments. Yeah, so if you if you do take it early, there's going to be a small reduction. So if your full retirement age is 66 and and payments start at 62, you know, you're going to have about 75% of the total. So they're going to ding you a little bit. So that's a part of what we do sometimes for our clients is we we look and try to maximize social security. That can be a, a great way to increase your retirement going forward. Yeah, and speaking of maximizing Social Security, you know, if you delay your payments and you start your payments after your full retirement age, then you get a raise for each month you delay that, and it's called delayed retirement credit. Um, For example, if if your full retirement age is 66 and your payments start at 70, you have 48 delayed retirement credits, um, that adds up to 132% of your payments. So you get an extra 32% for delaying it all the way up to age 70. Um, so if you can afford to delay it, you know, that's a big benefit. That's mm-hmm. an extra 8% every single year you delay. So it's worth considering. Yeah, it, it certainly all adds up. And, you know, if you have questions about that, you can call us, sit down with us. There's some great Social Security um calculators that we can use and just talk about your situation you know and every, everybody's situation is different yeah that's right yeah it's really important to, to know how that works so because uh, it is a big portion of most people's retirement income so great topic all right well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of money md tune in next saturday from 9 to 10 a.m to hear more prescriptions for your financial health do check us on our website, moneymd.net. We'd love to uh, hear from you, so email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Give us a call during regular business hours. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Ladies and gentlemen. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Let's see.